0: I feel like if you're gonna be in any industry it's important to make sure that what you do cannot be easily replicated and not only that but you know if you can put your story into it and your own spin on what you do it's that much more special to the person who could be a potential customer or fan of your brand
1: promo kitchen is an all-volunteer nonprofit organization Committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org slash donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Hey everyone, it's Mark Graham here. We've got a very special podcast for you today where Jason Lukash of Org Audio and I get the chance to sit down with Johnny Earl, probably better known as Johnny Cupcakes, the maverick t-shirt entrepreneur that started from nothing and now sells millions and millions of dollars worth of really creatively branded t-shirts and has created this global phenomenon for his brand. We are really excited to have Johnny speak at PPAI Expo on January the 10th after his keynote, and there are a limited number of spots in his workshop where he'll be talking about how to build a brand that matters, how to create a frenzy for your product. And we're hoping to attract a group of really creative and curious people to the workshop. It only costs 50 bucks. And if you go to promokitchen.org slash cupcakes, you'll be able to learn a little bit more about this workshop as well as to purchase a ticket please do it soon. It will definitely sell out quickly. And we look forward to seeing you in Expo. Without further ado, here's the conversation. So Johnny, if you can, in 45 to 60 seconds, tell me how Johnny Cupcakes got off the ground.
0: Sure. I was always a person that would kind of put together puzzles. I was inspired to figure out a way to spend more time with my family by witnessing my parents work so much as a kid ended up starting about 16 businesses before I was 16, from being a magician to selling candy in school to making scarves, making pins for bands. And when I was 18, 19 years old, I was working at a record shop called Newberry Comics in Braintree, Massachusetts, and I received a tremendous amount of nicknames from my goofy co-workers. If I was late for work, they'd call me Johnny Come Lately, they'd call me Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Cupcakes stuck out. I thought it was a funny name. I was going to get t shirts made for the hardcore metal band that I was in. And I made a shirt that said Johnny Cupcakes as a joke to advertise a bakery that didn't exist. I wore it to work. And all of these slightly miserable customers that never made eye contact started laughing and saying, What's Johnny Cupcakes? Is that a bakery? Where can I get one of those t shirts? So enough people asked me that I turned this hobby into a job. And I make apparel with cupcakes on it. As the brand grew, I opened up my own retail store. I opened a couple of them and I have them set up to look and smell like bakeries. I love it. We don't even sell cupcakes. We're just a t-shirt shop, but it's called Johnny Cupcakes. You walk in, there's vintage ovens everywhere. All of the graphic t-shirts are displayed in industrial refrigerators. When you buy a t-shirt, we package them in pastry boxes And we give everyone a complete experience. So whether they leave hungry and upset or excited with a t-shirt, they're all leaving with a story to share. And I've been doing that for almost 16 years now, full-time with being able to employ my parents and my sister. And it's been a dream come true. And we mostly sell direct to customers. So we're able to curate a really fun experience for anyone that purchases a t shirt on our website or in our retail shops.
1: I'm curious, and I gotta throw it over to Jason after this. Was there any part of you that was at all aware of how brutal and viciously competitive selling t shirts is? Or did you just get into it and say, I'm gonna go and create this amazing experience. I'm gonna charge 10 times more than what Some guy in wholesale is, and I'm going to create this incredible experience. Like, was there anything that you ever just looked at your model and said, it's just t shirts and anyone can sell t shirts? Or did you just always know that this was going to be successful through this kind of experience based approach? I don't think it was either of those.
0: I mean, I definitely did not get worried, or I didn't know too much about the industry, so I was not exposed to all of the potential failures. But I also never studied marketing, so I didn't have this genius plan. It was making some shirts for fun. People liked them, so I kept making more. But as I made more, I wanted to bring out the kid in everybody, and not even in a marketing sense. And I think I get this from my mom. My mother, when I was a kid, she used to tell me that we'd have to go run errands, and I'd be in her car for a half an hour driving, and all of a sudden, I'd see a Ferris wheel in the distance. And my mom (laughs) would lie to me and surprise me and bring me to a carnival. And she'd always do these things. And she still does things. She still makes Easter baskets for my sister and I. And her and my dad still win costume contests for parties they go to. They're just very fun people. And Hmm. with the products that I was making, as the brand grew, I genuinely want to make complete strangers smile through the art of selling t-shirts. And I think that's where I get it from, is just from my parents.
2: couple things here. First off, Johnny, I'm a huge fan, man. I've always been a fan of the brand and just the way you do things. And here at our company, I think we drink the same Kool-Aid where we do it in a similar way. So first off, I just want to say that. Second off, thank you. another kudos because I think any great business starts from people selling candy on a street corner, which I did myself <laughs> also. So big props to you. Hopefully you were making as great a margin on gummy worms as I was back on the East Coast. And then third, (laughs) the packaging. So let's talk about the way you bundle the shirt purchasing and shirt buying experience with the packaging, right? So how did you even come up with that? A lot of times when people do sell shirts, they don't think about the incremental cost of having the actual packaging involved with it. I'm sure the boxes cost money, but just tell us the whole thought process for why a bakery box.
0: Sure. Oh my goodness. I love packaging so much. I have rotting food at home and in my office, just because I need the packet, the the neat packaging. Right. So yeah, I've got this nickname, Johnny Cupcakes. So I'm making these T-shirts to advertise a bakery that doesn't exist. People think they're funny. I keep making more. And as I'm making more shirts, I think when it came to open up my own retail store, I decided to set my store up like a bakery. And what better way to give people their T-shirts than in pastry boxes? So. We've gone through a couple rounds of pastry boxes, of printing on them, foil stamps, embossing, debossing. But with that, although it does cost more money and more time, it makes every purchase so delightful. Some people buy shirts just for the packaging. They're able to skip that step of going to a Hallmark store and buying a gift bag. And then they get excited about the idea of putting this gift box, this pastry box underneath a Christmas tree or or what have you. But the packaging, we've done hundreds of different types of packaging. So to give you an idea, we try to create memories through merchandise. And by doing so, for instance, we'll utilize the holidays as ways to remix the brand. So around Halloween, we'll make our spooky themed t-shirts. One year, we did movie titles for movies that don't exist, like Count Spatula or Rise of the Two-Headed Zombie Chefs, or Robot Ovens from Mars. And so they were just graphics on the shirts with these fake movie titles. But we decided to step it up and hire actors and actresses and some great guys behind the camera and some special effects people. We made movie trailers for movies that don't even exist just to build up this hype and excitement for these t-shirts. Now, not only did we do that, but we decided to release the t-shirts at nighttime, so you would have to wait in anticipation in the dark to get these spooky shirts. We set our retail store up like a haunted house. All of our employees were excited that they got to dress up like zombies for the night. We gave out popcorn to anyone that came through. We showed horror movies in the windows, and we decided to package the t-shirts in cassette VHS tapes packaging that we rebranded. We even put the little round fluorescent be kind and rewind stickers on the boxes and we stuffed the t-shirts and everyone. And you just can't stop though. You you have to keep inspiring your team and working with your team and pushing everyone. You know, what else can we do? What else can we do? And I think that's where when magic is created, when you can keep coming up with little extra bonuses to make a customer's head spin. So the cherry on top of some of these Halloween releases, I went as far as renting out a hearse and a coffin from a creepy guy on Craigslist for $230. <laughs> and I personally got delivered in a coffin out of the hearse. And it stirred up so much excitement on Newberry Street in Boston that there were thousands of people taking photos, posting stuff on social media, asking all of our customers who were camping out for t shirts. What they were waiting in line for, so every customer acted as a brand ambassador. Right. So for me, you know, not spending ten or twenty thousand dollars on a full page ad, all of a sudden for two hundred and thirty dollars, I've got thousands of people taking photos and wanting to learn about the brand. I even went to Kinko's and got like a twenty, thirty dollar decal made for the back of the hearse that said Johnny Cupcakes, the Undertaker Baker. Oh, And it was great. Now, again, we've had our shirts knocked off and and that's fine. But people have to realize, although the product is cool, it's not the product that we're making. We're making memories through merchandise and we're creating a feeling, something that isn't even tangible. And that is our own DNA. And I've spent over a decade traveling around and creating memories with customers from all walks of life, from all over the world. I know many of our top customers by name. So does my mom and my sister. And it's just a big family of people who collect fun t-shirts and have made a lot of new friends through it.
2: Dude, what was it like riding in a coffin in a hearse?
0: Oh,
1: my God.
2: This is the most important question of this whole podcast, by the way. Like, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people want to know what that experience was like.
1: It's very Lady Gaga of you. Yeah, I... uh <laughs>
0: Yeah, I realized Mark Jacobs and Ralph Lauren were not jumping out of coffins and I decided to do it. It, it was actually pretty creepy. I <laughs> I love creepy things, but you can't help but think to yourself, I'm going to die someday, so I better have fun, which totally reverses the whole reason why you're asking yourself that question because you are having fun by jumping out of a coffin in a hearse. Yeah. So yeah, it was definitely bizarre, but we've done, aside from the hearse, I've gone as far as renting out ice cream trucks in Santa Monica, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and in New York City. Yeah. And we've rebranded the ice cream trucks to be Johnny Cupcakes Ice Cream Trucks. We sold ice cream-themed t-shirts packaged in oversized push-up pops, pints of ice cream, and with every purchase, we gave out real ice cream. We dressed up like milkmen from the 1950s. Awesome. And we were able to take a t-shirt that we normally sell for 30 $35, and we we're able to sell them for around $75 a shirt. Through the packaging, the experience, not only do we give out ice cream with every purchase, but I chose not to tell people where we were going to be too far in advance because I wanted the experience to be so genuine that adults were chasing an ice cream truck like little kids chasing an ice cream truck. And it was unbelievable. And nobody even barked at the prices. In fact, some of those t-shirts sell for triple the price on eBay if anyone ever is willing to let go of those shirts. And again, it wasn't even a marketing idea. It was, of course, we're going to make ice cream shirts around the summertime, we need to sell them out of an ice cream truck, with ice cream packaging, with real ice cream, with ice cream men costumes. We need to have music that plays when we roll up. I could go on and on, but like I said, I've done more than 400 pop-up shops around the world, and many of those pop-up shops, probably about 99% of them were done with me paying zero rent. That sounds crazy, but if I'm going to travel and do a tour around the US or beyond I'll post on social media. I'll say, hey, I'm looking to do a tour. If anyone wants to host me, let me know. And I'll get all this feedback from every city, every state, multiple countries. People saying, come to my house, come to my dorm, come to my college, come to my work, come to our place of business, our bakery, our art gallery. So people just want to host me just to have some action there. But they also get the benefit of me bringing hundreds of brand new customers that may have never gone to those businesses. Right. And that's great. And I usually do it during off hours. So it never messes with someone's business. It ends up being a bonus for them. But I've done pop-up shops in people's backyards. I've done them in people's garages. I've done them in art galleries, real cupcake shops. I've created menus and diners where you have to sit down and order your t-shirts from a menu. I did a tour called the suitcase tour where we sold t-shirts out of suitcases from the 1950s to go along with the roots of my brand of selling shirts out of my suitcase when I was on tour with the hardcore band. So I'm like running out of breath because I'm so excited huh. to talk about it. This is, this is the stuff I live for and I think I owe it to my parents for them instilling that, that
1: sense of humor in me. Hey Jason, what are your parents like?
2: I don't know. Crazy. Cause they have to deal with me. I'm, I mean, I'm raised in California, but I'm raised by two New Yorkers. So my parents are straight to the point and no bullshit people. But my mom was an entrepreneur. My grandpa was an entrepreneur. So I come like from a family of entrepreneurs. So I think that was entailed like in my DNA. But they're not as crazy as Johnny's parents. It sounds like that's awesome. Like I would love to see my parents win a costume contest still in like crazy costumes. But they're a little more conservative. <laughs>
0: um, well, two two notes on that. One, my wife is a New Yorker. She definitely definitely tells it how it is. And two, out of all the costume contests my parents have done, one year my dad dressed up as Justin Timberlake and my mom dressed up as Janet Jackson what? because of that Super Bowl incident. Oh, it's definitely a little weird, but you know, they definitely <laughs> it was it was really weird, but but they won. They're just really, really fun people.
2: I'm curious, what are your parents' roles with the company? What did they do?
0: They always helped out, but I opened my first store in my hometown in Hull, Massachusetts, which is forty five minutes south of Boston. And then I realized the importance of location and I took a really big financial risk and I opened up on Newberry Street in Boston. I was going from spending seven hundred dollars a month on rent in my hometown to spending seven, eight thousand dollars a month on rent on this street in Boston, but I knew There's about a million students that move in and around Massachusetts every year for school. And I knew I had to be there and everything has a price for a reason. So I took a risk, opened it up, and that was the turning point of the brand. That opening day, we made about three months rent in one day and I was able to hire my mom, my dad, my sister. So I brought my mom on to be the CFO. So she's the professional money juggler, and she also used to be a paralegal and kind of jack of all trades at a law firm in Boston. So she helps out with a lot of the contracts for the licensing deals that we do. I brought on my dad. My dad's always been a freelance carpenter, so he's just our in-house handyman from building out our offices, from minor fixes in the stores or the pop-up shops. And my sister graduated from business school in Rhode Island, and I brought her on to do human resources. But she also manages our eBay page. We have an eBay vault, and instead of having sales all the time, we save our products and then release them months later on eBay. And they usually sell for three, four times the price than what it would have happened if it went on sale. So she runs that. I mean, you know how it is with a small business. Everybody doesn't have one role. Everybody does everything changes every day. But yeah, I'm very thankful to have them. They definitely put in their hours. They work later than they should. They work on weekends. Having a family run brand, it has been tough in the past, but we've learned to try our best to not talk about work outside of work and to just make time for family stuff and and that's very helpful. And we've learned to try to make more decisions based off of facts versus feelings. And that's something that I still have to learn because sometimes you have a great idea and you want to jump on it. But I'd say my wife has played a great role in being that wall that I have to get through with all these side business ideas I come up with. My wife's an auditor, so she she is <laughs> an auditor from New York. She's the toughest woman that I know, but she's the smartest woman I know and I would not have it any other way. So I definitely learned a lot from her. As we were dating, you know, when she started to, you know, chime in and let me know if something's not going to work. It was really tough for me to to be like I'm like, you're, you know, you're my significant other. You're supposed to be supportive, but she's just, you know, like you said, Jason, your parents tell it how it is and it hurts sometimes, but after 24 hours, you're like, wow, I'm I'm really happy that that got right to the point. So it's good. Yeah.
1: Johnny, I was going to ask, I know you speak to a lot of entrepreneurs or people that want to become entrepreneurs. What are two or three of like the Biggest rules that are, I mean, not rules, but just philosophies or just things you preach to entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs? I would say don't be
0: afraid of failing. There are so many people with great ideas that don't start or don't continue a project because they're afraid of what other people might think. I still fail every single day. Every day I fail at least once or twice. And you just have to look at it as a puzzle and laugh and take a learning lesson away from it. I'd say make sure whatever you're doing with whatever business you're in, you have at least a dozen things that separate you from other people within your industry. And I'd say make sure you manage your time and money the right way. I know a lot of people that have ideas for businesses, but they are partying on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and they're recouping on Sundays and half a Mondays. So they really have two full days to try to make something work. Although I grew up with a lot of troublemakers, I've never been drunk before. I've never tried alcohol. So I've saved a tremendous amount of money and time my whole life. And that's really, really helped me reinvest my time and money into all these other ideas. So while my friends were out partying, I was at concerts or craft fairs, just selling whatever it was that I was working on at the time. And, and that really helped me be a better people person. It helped me be okay with failing and it helps me learn to manage my time a little bit better. So I'd say those three things are probably the pillars and you know, making sure you love what you do. You're not just starting a business to try to make some quick money because it's a constant investment
1: into your future and into your brand. I got one more I'm going to turn it over to Jason in just a sec. A little bit more personal, this question, hopefully you're okay with it. You've been open in some of your public speeches about your learning disability as a kid. And I'm always curious about the connection between creativity, entrepreneurship, and those with learning disabilities when they're young and how something that might be perceived to be a negative or a disadvantage reliability is actually something that turns into a great advantage and asset. Are you comfortable to talk about that in terms of your path?
0: You know, I've just always had a really difficult time sitting still, focusing. I had terrible grades in school and my parents put me into a charter school and I I thought my life was over. I had to take this little bus to school with all these, yeah, I was a very small startup charter school, but it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. I got to learn at my own level. I got to take different timed tests and everything we learned was hands-on. You know, if we were learning about sea life or marine biology, we'd go on a whale watch. If we learned about cooking, we would start a program and make lunch for the school. So that really helped me, learning hands-on. And I think that's with most people, is you learn better by doing. It sticks with you, it makes it fun, but I don't look at it as a disability. I, I never took any drugs for it. I was told I had two different learning difficulties. The charter school really helped out. I started listening to jazz music, trying to turn off TV, trying to turn off the internet, just little things to make work enjoyable. But the biggest thing is to just do what you love. And if you can have the ability to take classes that you enjoy, to take courses in college that you enjoy, or to work a job that you enjoy, all of a sudden, focusing is not as much of an issue. I mean, it could still be tough, but you almost can't sleep. I couldn't even drive today because I had to keep slowing down to write down ideas that I had for products that we want to release in 2017. And I think the best Part about having a difficult time focusing is it's like a superpower in the sense that you know what you don't want to do, and that's everything you can't focus on. Yeah. It's just a very clear sign of what's right and what's not right for you. And yeah. And I think everyone has some form of discomfort when it comes to trying to sit down and, and getting things done. But but yeah, those are my thoughts. That school helped me out, my parents being open-minded helped me out. Internships. I think are a great thing for anyone that's still confused because you learn firsthand what you want to do or what you don't want to do for the rest of your life. And one of my internships was at a silk screening shop and I revisited that place when I had the idea to make these t-shirts.
1: That's awesome, man. Thank you. What a brilliant answer.
2: Johnny, so I'm back on this packaging kit because I don't know, we spent a ton of money on packaging and I feel like we have some of the best packaging at least. That I know of.
1: You do, man. I'll echo that. You do. I agree.
2: Where do you get your inspiration for your packaging? Like, we do a lot of scouring the internet, obviously, but we also shop the markets in like Tokyo and Hong Kong. Like, where does all your inspiration for how you package come from?
0: Well, I've only been to Japan once, and it's definitely an inspiring place when it comes to packaging and retail experience. But I get a lot of inspiration grocery shopping, watching cartoons, old cartoons. And a lot of it is what theme can match the product that's coming out. So if we are releasing something in October, it's got to be a VHS tape. It's got to be a miniature coffin. It's got to be a a spooky cupcake mix box. It has to be an oversized, hollowed out book of horror stories that has T-shirts inside of the book. Those are a few things that we've done around Halloween. But I have to say the holidays, pop culture, sports events, sports seasons. Utilizing any season, any bit of pop culture to remix our products and then tagging along to that as, hey, are we going to do special packaging for this? What kind of release do we want to make this? And it's tough to not get too carried away, but we did a really fun project with The Simpsons. We were approached by Fox a few years ago, and they wanted us to work on some t-shirts, some products for The Simpsons' big anniversary So we had quite a few ideas that we had to tone down, but we had a release and within that release, we made some special edition products that were twice as much money for the customer. And those projects were, you know, there was a Homer Simpson box set and it was a t-shirt, but it came in a cupcake mix box and it was a Homer's bacon cupcake mix. But along with the shirt inside of the box, you'd get a pair of Johnny Cupcakes Homer socks. I think it came with a pair of sunglasses, you know, it came with a watch. Krusty's came with a t-shirt, a bow tie, and an itchy and scratchy hat. And then Bart's came with a wallet, the t-shirt, a wallet, and a pair of sunglasses. So there were these collectibles that you could not buy separately unless you bought the box set. And it was really fun. But, But yeah, I think a lot of our inspiration comes from the themes. And it starts with that theme. And you just kind of build off of that with one another.
1: I want to turn our focus to Expo. You're going to be speaking, doing one of the big keynotes at Expo in January. And I'm curious if you can give a little sneak peek as to some of the things that you're going to be talking about, because we plan to publish this before your session and would love to drum up some additional interest.
0: Sure. You know, I talk about many things. And if people are paying close attention, there's at least 40 or 50 little nuggets of bits that they could take back to their companies. But the overarching subject would be branding, creating unique experiences, but most importantly, building brand loyalty. We have more than 2,000 Johnny Cupcakes customers that have. Tattoos, Johnny Cupcakes tattoos on their bodies. I've seen face tattoos, neck tattoos, back tattoos. I've seen tattoos in places that I wish I did not see. But, (laughs) you know, a lot of these customers were inspired to start their own business, to live a healthier lifestyle. Some of them met their best friends or significant others through the brand. So I'm going to share a lot of stories and a lot of tricks that people can use to inspire their team to think more creatively and to build brand loyalty with their existing customers, their past customers and the customers that don't exist yet.
1: That I think is going to be a huge message. It brings me to a comment and I'll follow it up with a question. And Jason, I'd love your perspective on this too. Is that this industry, the promotion products industry, is on one hand very vibrant, very creative. It's a growth industry, not fast growing, but you know solid numbers is a big, big industry. It's about $22 billion. So that's all on the good side of the ledger, so to speak. On the negative side, and I think you will see this in spades, particularly if you've got a booth and you're being a supplier there, there's a lot of people who are scared in this industry. A lot of people that have either been around for a long time, or they just have an older mindset, not to say their age, but just an older mindset. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come into this keynote that are pissed off about Amazon or the online players that are stealing their business or cutting costs. There's going to be people that are scared about losing their employees to more innovative companies or maybe other innovative industries. You're going to have people that just don't know how to differentiate themselves because they really see themselves as either distributors of some big product line or maybe a distributor of Jason's, for instance, or it could be a supplier who's sitting there. This is being very generic when I say this, but you may have some suppliers that feel their job is to go to the Canton Fair in China, go and bring a bunch of stuff in and put it into a warehouse in the US and 30 other suppliers have got the exact same product. So there's just no way to differentiate so you're going to be a very, very weird guy or a breath of fresh air to some of those people who are scared or pissed off. <laughs> so that's a comment about some of the people that you're going to be speaking to. And I really hope that your message resonates because I think that a lot of those people have the ability to reinvent themselves into 2.0 of their businesses. I had a question in there and I think I remember it. <laughs> sure, sure. My question is I'd be interested, Jason, to get your perspective on this primarily, is Jason, you as a supplier, you see all of these distributors that sell your product. Mm -hmm. You're really vocal about the kinds of people that you want representing your product. When you see Johnny and the values that he represents, how many of your distributor customers are like the Johnny Cupcakes of the industry?
2: I'd say of all of our customers, we'd have probably less than 50 that i'd consider to be like johnny cupcakes of the world the rest we have to conform with and sell product to do i wish there was more johnny cupcakes of the world 100 million percent for sure and i think for when the post-promo apocalypse happens when distributors don't exist in the future the ones that will exist will be the ones like the johnny cupcakes of the world right because eventually this whole and you know we've Talked about this in podcasts before. This industry is making a major shift, I guess, to potentially either get rid of distributors in the future because at the end of the day, they're a middleman, right? Like, why do we need the same reason people don't use travel agents anymore, right? So,
0: the same reason I barely do wholesale, I, I try to go right to my customers, you know.
2: Yeah, and yeah. That way your message is crafted the way you want it to be crafted, right? The hardest thing we have with the promo industry is, you know, we make all this cool stuff. It's an awesome packaging. We tell people how it works. And then at the end of the day, we're not selling a thing, right? It's up to the distributor to go in and make that sale for us. So we want the people that are making the sale for us to be a representative of our brand, but they have their own brand. So it's hard to find that fine line on how we can work together properly. Luckily, we have a core group of customers that just gets it and does really, really well in selling our stuff. And that's where I'd say 90% of our business comes from. But you will have those outlier customers that do things the way they want them to be done. And it's tough. It's it's very, very tough. I'm more or less rambling right now. And I can't even remember the original question. But yeah, the industry is changing big time for the future. And I think it's the Johnny Cupcakes type of distributors that, you know, the right slaves of the world, the brand fields of the world, those type of distributors that offer more than just selling products and more like experiential type of selling and marketing are the ones that will survive for the future.
0: That's what everybody wants from what I see. I mean, so many companies are trying to be innovative. They're trying to be new. They're trying to have open floor concepts. They're trying to have, you know, slides in their buildings and better snack options because it makes the employees happy, which makes the company more money. So a lot of businesses have been making that shift and they're certainly making that shift with the gifts that they give their employees and clients. So I don't think, you know, having 40 different types of pens that you could engrave your name on or a backpack with someone's initials, those do have a place and time for it. But I think now more than ever, people, they want something new. They don't want their gift to be a waste. And they want their employees to feel appreciated. And they want their employees to use whatever you're giving them, whether that be a t-shirt or a really cool pair of headphones that you might make, Jason. And yeah, people want to create that something fun. They want people to feel appreciated. That's why they're buying them gifts. And they're looking for new things. You know, my wife always says competition is good. It's a great thing. It forces you to reinvent yourself and to think strategically. And I'm excited about hearing the difficulties of this because in my mind, I'm like, cool, I'm going to do this show. But with or without this show, I'm going to send out some beautifully crafted packages with samples and handwritten notes to so many different companies because it doesn't cost that much money. Yeah, it does cost a little bit more time. But why not make a database of the HR department's for all of these companies, I think that would be a really fun, uh, another fun challenge to just go straight to the source and yeah, you could go to so many different types of places to be well known, it, but also have a good balance of having that structure of being a part of the show. Cause I do think the show is very important and I think it's important to just, yeah just have a good balance and not rely on yourself is what I'm
1: trying to say. So Johnny, you know, what's so interesting about what you're saying is that you're not really a supplier in the traditional sense of this industry. You're really more of a distributor in the way that you're thinking. And you're absolutely right. You should be going and getting a list. Like if HR is your person in the kind of corporate gifting world, you're a smart guy, you can get those people, you can send them handwritten notes and send them cool samples and blow them away. Guarantee you they will have never seen anything like that from any other distributor because you're also selling your own brand you could totally kick ass doing that. I think the question is whether you also see yourself as a supplier a little bit like Jason and whether you can establish a wholesale channel and find the very small number of people that understand what you're doing so that you can create these great partnerships with them. I also had a little thing that I wanted to say to what Jason was talking about with regard to distributors. And, and actually, let us see if I'm uh, making any sense here, but I actually think the word distributor is kind of the problem in our industry. This just came to me, Jason. And I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Like distributor is the kind of thing that you do when you take a box and you move it to somewhere else. So you take it yeah. in your warehouse and then you ship it out. So it's a very like logistical, operational thing. Mm. And I don't mean to underestimate that because Johnny, you're in the distribution business too. I mean, hey, someone orders a shirt, you have to get it out and on time. Otherwise you got an upset customer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not trying to devalue that. But I think that the problem in our industry is that the very like sort of worst distributor, like that person who's complaining about losing that order to 4imprint or Amazon is literally just doing that, is just taking Jason's product and is just shipping it out the back door to the customer and not adding any creative value. There's nothing authentic or unique or differentiated about their brand and all they're doing is just repping other people's brands which i think is a business model that is going to be dead within the next few years which i think you said jason yeah and i think when you're dealing with some of these other distributors you know you talk about people like you know you mentioned brand fuel as a good example that they're distributors but they've invested in their own brand and their own experience so they're like the johnny cupcakes of the industry and people buy from brand fuel because they're brand fuel. They're not buying from brand fuel because they've got a good price on a Gildan shirt. I mean, that, that might be secondary. And I think that that's the distinction and one that so many people in this industry struggle with, And which is why I think you're going to weird people out, Johnny, but in a good way.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Mark. I think Johnny is going to weird people out in a good way, but dude, I'm 100% for that. I hope people are weirded out. I hope the people that are buying existing product from leads and shipping it out in white boxes and not touching it are out of business. I want people like Johnny Cupcakes to rebel and fight the industry. Definitely.
1: He could be your next distributor account there, Jason. Yeah. I mean, (laughs)
2: uh, that's the type of person that at Origadia, we want to work with. We want the people like that. We want the canaries. We want the overtures. You know, we want the perfection promos, the elites. We want to work with people like that. And Johnny Cupcakes fits that model.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So I'm coming into this with such fresh eyes, and forgive me for not knowing the rules, regulations, and and how things have been in the past, but just looking at this industry, why is it... I don't even know if I'm supposed to be asking these questions, but... Yes. Why is ASI, PPAI, all these other shows, why are they just inviting primarily distributors? If I had a show... I don't even know that I'd invite distributors. I would reach out to the HR department of so many companies. I'd reach out to event planners. I'd reach out to just the general public. That way my vendors would be so excited to go straight to the source. There'd be less of this gray area and there'd be more foot traffic coming through the door, which is best for the organizers of the shows and best for the people with booths there. Because Those people walking in off the street might buy Christmas gifts for everybody or everybody works for a company or is part of some type of organization where they need stuff. So, you know, me coming into this industry from a different angle, I'm just looking around being like, man... If this was my show, I would there just seems to be if like you said Jason, a few things that are a little backwards and a little <laughs> old school and 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 as you said Mark, you think a lot of things are being phased out. When I tried out the ASI show, I definitely had many excited people and as I mentioned there was someone that that had a employee with a Johnny cupcakes tattoo, which was pretty cool, but I also had a few very rude people who seemed threatened because they had no idea why people were lined up waiting to learn about the Johnny Cupcakes brand. And that person was very rude to me. And I I was speechless. I, I was just very speechless. So why is it? Can you guys tell me why nobody's reaching out? And I could be wrong because I don't know this. But there seems to be more distributors than people from the actual companies that purchase these products from event planners to marketing and HR departments of various Organizations.
1: Do you want the official answer or the real
2: answer? I'll let Mark answer because whatever I say is going to offend people listening to this. So Mark, you can answer, man.
1: Uh, I almost feel like we should end the podcast right now because you're going to have like a lineup of people with like, you know, placards in front of your keynote, which is awesome. Johnny, you're the best man. <laughs>
0: and I'm only asking from just a very, and we could talk about this off air, but I'm I'm only asking from a very I'm just genuinely curious because it just seems black and white to me but on the other hand on the other hand in the fashion industry there are some distributors that some companies rely on because they don't have the time the work ethic the man hours yeah. or the organization yeah. to reach out to all these other companies so it's so easy to just work with a few distributors who bring in all the business you know it's worth giving them 10 20% however much percentage of the product that they're moving yeah so i definitely do see the value of both but you know i'm looking at this like as what does the future holds and based off of what you two have told me it just brings up a lot of curiosity to me of, you know <laughs> i hope the listeners don't take offense no. I, i'm just i'm just being very curious from an entrepreneur from a pedestrian that is a shopper from all angles. And I hope people are asking themselves what their future holds. And And I hope my talk can help anybody that comes to it to figure out how they're going to stay relevant, how they're going to get new business, and how they're going to keep old business. And that's what I'm trying to help everybody with
1: from vendors to distributors. Well, here's the thing. What you just said there in the last 60 seconds is everything that matters in your talk. And what I hope you do, make a reminder of this. If you can incorporate a little bit of this last like 5 minutes about the question you just asked about like why are there distributors or why are there not end users at the show. Like great questions. You should incorporate that. You should incorporate your observations into your keynote however you can. You're going to piss some people off in the crowd and you're going to get some people that go, "Yeah, that's amazing." And you're not doing it to be a rabble rouser. You're just doing it as an outside guy who is making observations about how you've been successful in your business. And people in this industry need to hear that. And I mean, you asked why, why don't I just give you the traditional answer? And I say this because I started a distributorship. So like I'm the last guy to want to say the model's broken, right? I mean, I'm in the software business too, but the basic 101 answer as to why you've got just distributors or at the show is that the distributors are this huge sales force that someone like Jason can tap into to go and sell to those HR departments that you're talking about, right? And Jason could very much sell direct to that HR department if he wanted to. And Jason would have to make that decision and say, well, do I have the time and energy to go and build a sales force to go and pitch all these HR departments or do I want to focus my limited resources on design, package design, bringing cool products in from China or wherever and focusing on that side of it. So I think a very benign and simple answer is it just as a matter of resources and focus. In all of that, a lot of very bad habits have occurred. A lot of lazy people and business models have emerged. A lot of whiners have emerged. And I'd also say that you've had a lot of amazing people that have emerged from it as well. Like there's a lot of incredible people in this industry and it's like fashion business, right? There's a lot of great people there and there's a lot of wankers too.
0: Yeah, I'm totally making a note on this right now because this is so similar to the fashion industry because they have trade shows. Trade shows have been great. Magic. The Magic, Agenda, Pool Trade Show. The trade shows have been great but, you know, for me, when I started my business, I did do a lot of wholesale. And when I learned that I have to sell my product for half the price, when I learned that people don't pay me on time and sometimes not at all,
2: <laughs> I, I,
0: just, I just stopped doing it. I just said, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how to go right to my customers. So I learned that there's concerts, multiple concerts that happen every single night in every single city. There's craft fairs that happen every week. I learned that e-commerce can be very powerful. And I learned that people will invite you to their homes. I, I even did a thing called cupperware parties instead of Tupperware parties where I said, hey, if you want a couple free Johnny Cupcakes t-shirts, I'll hook you up with some shirts for free. All you have to do is invite me over to do a pop-up shop and invite your friends to shop. Not only will I give you a free shirt or two, but I'm going to give you... 13% a baker's dozen, 13% of how much money I make. I'm going to give that to you in either cash or I'll donate it to a charity of your choice. I've done so many of these where I've made thousands of dollars in like 30 minutes off of selling products that have been sitting around in my warehouse collecting dust. And I'm not looking to make the most money in the world. I'm looking to solve the most puzzles in the world. So that's what I did. Now, when I look at my friends' brands, who I love, some of them work with distributors, some of them sell straight to wholesalers, but regardless, their primary business is doing wholesale. And what's really scary is some of these businesses that I've seen, some of these brands that I've seen at the fashion trade shows, you can see the desperation in their eyes because they are fighting every last breath that they have to get space on the floor in these stores, some of those stores that are going out of business and many of those stores that are bringing in other new innovative brands. So not only are they losing a lot of money with the wholesale price, but you have no solid predictable future because you're not selling straight to your customers. So that really made me be like, all right, if I do wholesale, I'm going to do it with select stores that I have great relationships with that represent my product well, but I'm going to focus on my website. So we release brand new t-shirts every single Friday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on our website. We release at least four or five new shirts every week. Once we sell out, we normally don't make it again. People start collecting. Got one girl in Belgium who's got 700 Johnny Cupcake shirts, more than a thousand Johnny Cupcakes products. And... By keeping it personal, having the fun packaging like Jason and I were talking about, all of these things help build brand loyalty and help us rely on our clients and our customers become loyal to us and there's probably some distributors that have been loyal too because they just can't believe that there's not many people doing things like what Jason does or there's not many quirky weird brands like Johnny Cupcakes too or like Brand Fuel, you know, they see some of Brand Fuel stuff or they see the owner Brand Fuel and they just can't believe the passion that are pouring out of every crevice and they they see the importance of branding, packaging and products. So it's a beautiful complicated puzzle like in every industry but like in every industry, there's many, many solutions. You just have to be open-minded, willing to try, willing to fail, and willing to just be open to change because things are going to change. Whether we change or not, every industry will keep changing. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey, Johnny, I want to give you a massive thanks for spending all this time and sharing a huge amount of knowledge We should be wrapping up in just a second here, but I wanted to also, you know, in addition to promoting your keynote, which I think is going to blow people away, particularly after some of the themes we just talked about, but I also want to promote the fact that you're doing a more intimate, smaller workshop immediately following the keynote and Promo Kitchen is going to be involved in sort of co-hosting that with you. And there's only a limited number of seats for that. You can buy tickets off of the PPAI website if you're interested in hanging out with you, Johnny, sort of up close and personal. And I know that's where we're going to rip into some of these themes and talking about creativity and, you know, unstucking people as it pertains to standing out in a crowded marketplace. And I think that you're a perfect guy for that. And I know that I cannot wait to be part of that. So thank you for doing that. And it's going to be amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. And you know what, I'm already thinking about many ideas, dozens of ideas of what I would do if I was a distributor and how I would stand out and figure out ways to be well-branded and successful. So, you know, I'm not just thinking on the side of the vendor, but I think distributors have a really great shot at, you know, reinventing the way they do business from the design of their website to their catalogs, to who they decide to represent Yeah, I think there's a lot of success and growth for everybody as long as we're all willing to think creatively. Yeah.
1: Well, great message, man. Thank you so much on behalf of the Promo Kitchen community. You're going to be amazing in January. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.